Hey, I'm glad you're here. We're going to finish up our One Month to Live series, and I want to I start off with reading the passage of Scripture that we have started each uh, message this series with, and it comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 39, 4 and 5, and you don't have to turn there, just look on the screen and, uh, as I read Psalm 39, 4 and 5. It says this, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. And for the last three weeks, we've talked about the fact that we have a limited amount of time on this earth. Now, most of us tend to live like we've got an unlimited amount of time. We tend to make decisions as if we're going to be here 20, 30, 40 more years. But the, the reality is, is we don't know how much time we've got. And if, and if we were like uh, the, the person who wrote the psalm here, if, if we could really say to God, God, show me the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. What if God said, all right, you got a week? What if God said you got one month? What if he said you've got one year? How would that change how you live? And so that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. If you really knew you had one month to live, what would be different? What would change about the way you live? And if you can think of things that would be different if you had one month, why not go ahead and make those changes right now? And so we've been talking about that. And one of the things we've done this series is we've ended every message with a challenge. And I've given you 30-day challenges for every single message. Last week, Joe Sangle was here. By the way, how many of you came to the, to the financial learning experience at three, that, that afternoon? Was that not worth the price of admission, which was free? Was it not worth two hours of your time to come to that? Yeah, it was good stuff. And, uh, and so those of you that, that missed out on it, you can still go on his website, use his free tools and that kind of stuff. Just want you to know that, but that was really good. But the message, the, the challenge at the end of the message last week uh, that, that Joe and I talked about, and he issued the challenge last week since he was bringing the message. And that was a 30-day challenge to tithe, 30-day challenge to give 10% of your income. And by the way, just let me clear one thing up. A tithe is 10%. So if you were to say to me, Cliff, I'm still working on getting my tithe up to 10%, you're not tithing. What you're doing is you're just giving a little bit. Tithe is 10%. That's a biblical uh, uh, term, and a tithe means 10%. So, so that's what, that was the, that was the uh, challenge last week. The challenge the week before that, hopefully you remember it, was to read the Bible every day for 30 days, 30 straight days, read some of the Bible. And then the first week, the challenge was to either take off something or put on something, whether it be a habit you need to start or stop, whatever that might be, to take something off of your life or put something onto your life. That was the challenge. Well, today, we're going to end the message today, just like we have the last three weeks with a challenge. And it probably will be the most difficult challenge yet. So I want to go ahead and get you ready for that. We're going to challenge you to do something at the end of today's message that will require uh, the biggest amount of humility on your part, and, and it'll just, it's just going to be difficult for you to do it, but I want to challenge you to do it. In, in 2007, a movie came out that, that I thought about as I was preparing these messages this month called The Bucket List. I don't know if any of you have seen The Bucket List, but it's two older guys. Jack Nicholson plays one guy. Morgan Freeman plays the other. They're both terminally ill. And they know, so they know they've got a limited amount of time. So they decide to make a bucket list, a, a list of things they want to do before they kick the bucket. And, and then they go about trying to get those things done off the list before they die. And, uh, and so I thought about that as I was doing, uh, getting these messages together. So what I want us to do this morning, as we're, since we're just getting started, I want you to kind of just 
turn to the people around you, maybe three or four people. Try to go outside of your family a little bit. This will be a great opportunity for you to meet someone new. And I want you to tell your name and share one or two things that would be on your bucket list. If you had a bucket list, what would be one or two things on your list that you want to do before you kick the bucket, all right, before your one month to live is up? Go ahead and do that. I'm going to give you a few minutes or a little while. Go ahead and do that right now. Hey, you know, uh, you know one thing I love about our church? One thing I love about this church is I, I said, hey, go ahead and start talking to somebody, and immediately it got really loud in here. I love that, you know. Y'all weren't like, oh, we've got to be real quiet. This is church, so that was cool. Uh, what, what were some of the things? Somebody shout out something that was on. Uh, well, first of all, did any of you learn, meet somebody new, make a new friend right then? Good. All right, good. Remember their name. Next week, try to speak to them by name. That, that's, that's one of your challenges. That's not the 30-day challenge. All right, what's something that you, what's something somebody said in their bucket list that you thought, oh, I'd like to do that one? Travel. Travel. All right, skydive. Y'all skydiving people are crazy. I'm not, a, all right. What else? Huh? Box a kangaroo. I might rather skydive than do that. All right, what else? Go on a date with Natalie Portman. Sweet. All right. Man, very cool. All right, anything else? Chris thinks we ought to stop on Natalie Portman. I got you. I got you. Well, I haven't, I started thinking about this for myself. I haven't really made a bucket list. I haven't sat down and written out, you know, stuff. But, but I, as I started thinking about it, you know, some of the things I'd like to do is 
I'd like to go, I want to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame sometime before I die. Uh, I want to hike part or a good bit of the Appalachian Trail before I die. I want to live at the beach like today before I die. I want to do that. Um, you know, the, things like that. I want to see Bruce Springsteen at least one more time before I die. So those are some things that I, that I would want to do. And chances are the stuff y'all shared with each other were things like that. It was things like, you know, places you want to travel and stuff you want to experience. And those things are great because we live in an amazing world with lots of cool opportunities and lots of things to do. And it seems like all the time I'm turning on the TV or hearing about something and thinking, man, I'd like to try that someday because we've just got this very, very interesting world that we live in. But I think that if we really sat down and wrote a bucket list, I think the top of the list would include things like that. It would have travel and it would have all those kinds of good things. But then as we started to get further down the list, I think we'd start to get into some more relevant type of issues in our life if we made a real bucket list. If you really started to think about what do I want to do before I'm done on this earth, you would start to get into some things that were a little, little more personal, that were a little more built on things with other people. And in fact, I didn't really expect you to share any of that in that group because you just walked in here to church and chances are you're not going to share that right out loud at first. But I think that's kind of what our real bucket list would end up looking like. And that's what I want us to talk about today is I want us to talk about tying up the loose ends, tying up the loose ends of our life. Because I believe that if you really knew you had one month to live, if, if you walked in here and you could put it on a date and you knew it was going to happen in one month, you were going to be gone. One of the things that you'd want to be sure is, is that you left no unfinished business on this earth. And especially if you feel like you have a responsibility for someone else, you'd want to be sure that when you left this earth, they were taken care of. If, you, if you're, you're a person that, that you earn the most income at your, at your home and, and you're responsible for that, you'd want to be sure that the house was going to be paid off by the end of the month or that you had a plan in place where the house is going to be paid off where you wouldn't leave that debt with your husband or your wife. Maybe if you're, if you're the one that takes most of the responsibility for your children, you'd want to be sure that these kids are going to be taken care of. There's going to be someone in place to care for them, to love them, to teach them the things that, uh, that they want to know. It was funny when our girls were, were small, um, when, when Emily especially was small, Sherry would say, what is going to happen if I die? Who is going to fix Emily's hair? And she used to worry about who was going to fix Emily's hair if she died. And I said, baby, I'm just going to comb it straight and put it in ponytails. That's all I would know how to do. And that was kind of a concern of hers. And that's funny. But there are other things that we really would think about that we'd want to tie up some of those loose ends. Well, I think one of the things, one of the things that can really be a loose end in our life and, and something that I think that if we made a real bucket list would turn out to be true is that we would want to be sure that we tied up the loose ends in our relationships. See, our relationships that we have with people uh, are, are one of the most important things in our life, but they can also be the easiest thing to put off fixing. You'll fix a leaky faucet before you'll fix a broken relationship. You'll fix any kind of problem you have at work before you will fix a broken relationship. And, and so one of the things that, that, that we're going to talk about today is, is what your real bucket list might look like. It, your real bucket list, if it, if it involved relationships, it might have something on there like, forgive dad for never being at home when I was growing up. Or forgive my ex-wife for hooking up with a guy that we worked with and ruining our marriage. 
or apologize to my kids for blowing up and being angry at them most of the time. It might include any one of a number of things that involve your relationships with other people. And the, I think the, the truth is, and, and I could be wrong, in a, in a group of this many people, chances are there are lots of us in here who have a relationship loose end that needs to be fixed. And you can probably start to think of it right now. And you're probably even starting to get uncomfortable. And you don't want me to talk about this anymore because you don't want to fix that broken relationship. You're happy with being bitter and angry and unforgiving in your heart. That's the way we tend to be. But today we are going to jump into that and talk a little bit about it. And it's going to take effort. It's going to take hard work. And it's going to be a difficult thing for you to do to fix those broken relationships. But the thing is, is, is uh, relationships are, are so important. They're kind of like, um, they're so important. And not fixing them is kind of like having termites at your house. You can look at your house and it looks great from the outside. But there can be termites in the walls eating up everything and in the foundations eating everything up. And you don't even see it from the outside. And that's the way your life might be. That from the outside, I would look at it, other people would look at it, and it would look great. But, but the reality is, is you've got so many broken relationships that the foundation of your life, the walls of your life are being eaten up by this unforgiveness that you've got going on because you refuse to deal with these relationships. Well, Jesus talked a lot about relationships. And uh, we're going to look at one uh, story in, in, in uh, Matthew 18. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew 18. That's the New Testament. The very first book of the New Testament, Matthew. First four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do we call those? Anybody know? The Gospels. What does gospel mean? Good news. Those are the first four books of the the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them Gospels. It means good news because it tells the story of Jesus, which is the best news that there is. So look at Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. And I'm going to read the first two verses and then kind of stop and talk a little bit in between them. And then we're going to jump into the meat of the story that Jesus tells. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter, this is one of Jesus' disciples. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I love Peter because Peter seems to be the most like you and me if we would really admit to it. If you'll read the Gospels, there's so many times I read what Peter did and I say, man, I would do that same stupid thing if I was him. And in this case, there's so much of what looks like us in Peter. Because what he does is he comes up to Jesus and he says, listen, uh, I want to know what the line is, Jesus. Uh, and, And I think we're the same way. That whether we want it to admit it or not, we've got this line that we've drawn that, that we, we will forgive up to a certain point. But then once, those, once whoever it is, once they cross that line, we're not going to forgive them anymore. Now, we might not even know what the line is, but we'll know it when they cross it. And I'll forgive you for this and this, but if you cross that line, then that's it. And so Peter is coming to Jesus and he's saying, all right, Jesus, tell me what the line is. What do I need to, you know, how much do I need to forgive? And now, and I, I believe, now we don't know this from the scripture, but I believe that Peter had a specific person and situation in mind when he came to Jesus with this question. I really don't believe that Peter the fisherman was just sitting around pondering the theology of forgiveness with his buddies. I think somebody had done something to him. 
He was ticked off about it, and it was someone who had done the same thing to him a couple of different times, and he was saying, I'm fed up, I'm going to cut this guy off. So he goes to his teacher, his rabbi, his guy that he's following, trying to live like to Jesus, and he wants to know, tell me how much of this garbage do I have to take? Now, how many of you have ever been there? Have you ever felt like, I, I can't take any more of this, and if you cross this line one more time, I'm done with you, banishing you forever. You're dead to me. I don't want anything more to do with you. I think that's where Peter was. Now, what you need to understand is when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, am I supposed to forgive seven times? Peter was being very, very generous and extra religious when he said this because Peter was Jewish. And we know that the Jewish tradition was is that you forgive someone three times. That's where three strikes and you're out came from. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know about that. But, but that was the Jewish tradition, was three times. You, you mess with me on this, I forgive you. You do the same thing, I forgive you. Do the same thing a third time, that's it. I forgive you. If you do it four times, we're done. I'm done with you. So when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, should I forgive up to seven times? He's thinking, man, Jesus is really going to like this answer because I not only went more than three, I doubled it and I even added one more. I'm really, really good. Jesus is going to love this. So let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Peter is probably thinking, man, 77 is a lot to keep up with. I'm going to have to keep up with this for 70. And then on the 78th time, okay, Jesus, if that's what you mean, I can do that. But now, did, did Jesus mean a literal 77? No, we know he didn't. Here's how we know he didn't literally mean 77 times because of the story he tells right after it. So after Jesus tells him not seven, but 77, he goes into this story. And so look at Matthew 18, 23. And I'm going to start reading this story. And I'm going to read this story in two sections. We'll read the first section, then we'll talk a little bit, then I'll read the second section. So after Jesus says, don't forgive seven times, but 77 times, he immediately goes into this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The first thing I want us to realize when we start talking about tying up loose relationship ends in our life is that we have been forgiven a debt we could never pay. We have been forgiven a debt we could never pay. This story Jesus tells, it's, it's about this powerful king. And, and we can tell from the story that the king pretty much has unlimited power. That he can choose at any moment to have someone thrown in jail, have someone executed, have them and their entire family sold into slavery. And he's a king with unlimited resources. The fact that this guy owed him 10,000 talents tells us that. Now, you're trying to say, okay, Cliff, 10,000 talents, what, how much is that? Everything that I've read and studied on it, there's a lot of, you, you can't really figure out exactly. Some people think it means this much. Some people think it means that much. You can't figure out exactly how much it is in today's dollars. But the idea is this. If it was in today's dollars, it's so many millions of dollars that this guy, he was never going to be able to pay this back. Even if he was able to work every day for the rest of his life and never keep any of his own money, 
He didn't have to pay his own rent. He didn't have to pay for his own food. But everything he earned, he gave back to the king until the day he died. He would still not be able to pay it back. That's how much 10,000 talents was. More than this guy could ever earn. More than he could ever hope to pay back. And so then in verse 25, when, when he finds out that it's 10,000 talents and, and he can't pay it back, what does the king tell him? He says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The, the, uh, the king decided, listen, I'm going to lose money on this deal, so I'm just going to get what I can get. I'm going to sell all of you into slavery, and then I'll get at least part of my money back. That was an extremely severe punishment. And so what could the guy do? Well, in verse 26, we see that he does the only thing that he could do which was to literally get on his knees and beg for mercy. And he just tells him, he says, I will pay back everything, be patient uh, with me. And he, he's just literally begging him for mercy. And then in verse 27, the king does something unexpected and surprising when he says, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt. Now look, notice this. It's not, that he, it's not just that he said, okay, I'll give you more time to pay back the debt. It's not just that he, he didn't even say, okay, I'll cut the debt in half, so maybe then you can have an opportunity to repay it. He says, you owe me more than you could ever pay back, and I'm going to tell you that it's all gone. Your balance sheet is now at zero. You owe me nothing, and you can go. So here we have a guy who, who owed a debt, and, and by the way, we never... It never tells us, it never says that the debt's unfair. See, a lot of times I think you would read this story and you would think, oh, this is like a tyrannical king and, and he's bad news and he's putting taxes on this guy or, or doing something, you know, he's giving him a bad loan with high interest rate and that's why this guy owes so much money. No, this was a fair debt. This guy, he, he was supposed to pay it back. It, it wasn't that, that the king was, was bad news or or anything like that. This guy had a debt that he was supposed to pay, and, and it was, it was a, a solid, real debt. And the king decides, I'm not going to make you pay it back. I'm going to let you go. And it was for no other reason other than the fact that the king had mercy in his heart towards this guy. That was it. The guy couldn't earn it. There was no way he could have worked hard enough to make it happen, but the king had mercy on him and completely canceled the debt. So here we have a guy who's moments away from being sold into slavery, his whole family sold into slavery. He's, uh, he, his, his, his debt's been canceled, and, and we're going to see in just a minute how we react. Now listen, if you call yourself a Christian, okay, now I'm not talking about how you live day to day. I'm talking about on Facebook, you write Christian on there. You might not ever do anything Christian-like in your life but you would tell someone you're a Christian. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if that's really what you are, if you really are a Christian, you really are a follower of Jesus, then when you read the first part of that story, something should start to stir up in your heart. When you read that, you should recognize the fact that, you know what? I'm the guy that owes the 10,000 talents. That's who I am. Because all of us have a debt that we could never pay off and that debt is our sin you know the scripture says that if you break one part of God's law you're guilty of breaking all of it did you know that it says that so that if 
You say, well, Cliff, I would never commit the big sins. I would never murder someone. That's terrible. If you gossiped this week, you've committed all the sins. Same as murder, same as all of them. Because in God's eyes, yes, there are different things that you do and there's different consequences for sin, but in God's eyes, sin is sin. You break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it, and all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us. And so we all have this debt that we could never pay back because we can't be good enough to pay for our sin. We can't give enough money to the church to pay for our sin. We can't be nice enough to enough old ladies and stray dogs and all that kind of stuff to pay for our sin. There's nothing we can do to pay it off. So when we read the first part of this story, we should something should happen inside of us and we should recognize, man, this guy has been forgiven so much, he should live differently because of this. Shouldn't we do that? If we've truly been forgiven of this great debt, shouldn't it affect how we live? Shouldn't we live differently? Well, I want you to look at what happens in the fellow's life after he was forgiven of this great debt. How should he react after being forgiven that great debt? How should we react? Well, let's look at what he does. Look at Matthew 18, continuing there with verse 28. I'm going to read 28 through 35. So remember, guy's just been forgiven, great debt, not thrown in prison, debt's completely canceled. He doesn't owe anybody anything. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii, you're talking about, well, how much is that compared to 10,000 talents? A hundred denarii was a little bit more than walking around money, you know, but it was enough that where anybody who had a job could pay it back. So it was maybe in today's, you know, it, it, trying to think about it the way, way you think about money, maybe $500, something like that, a little more than you're going to normally have walking around day to day, but it was enough to where if you worked on it, you gave someone time, anyone with a job should be able to pay that amount of money back. Very, very small compared to 10,000 talents. So this guy owed him 100 denarii. Now, how does he react to him? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Does it sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. The same words that he used to the master that he owed 10,000 talents to. So how does this guy react? Surely he's going to show mercy just like was shown to him. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Now notice how long he was tortured. Until he should pay back all he owed. Now how, how long is that going to be? Forever. Because he can't pay it back. So this guy went from being completely free, completely debt-free, and because he would refuse to show mercy, now he's in jail and he's going to be tortured for the rest of his days. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So we've been forgiven a great debt. The second thing we need to know is this. 
We should forgive as we have been forgiven. We should forgive as we have been forgiven. Jesus told lots of stories in the New Testament. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's all kinds of stories he told. The Bible calls these stories parables. And, and I like all those parables. And sometimes the parables, when Jesus tells them, they seem to have a lot of different layers. And, and some of them, they, they might have more than one point, And some of the parables can even be a little difficult to understand. You have to read them several times and, and try to figure out what the context is. But this is one of Jesus' parables that is as straightforward to the point as, as you can get. Because the conclusion of it that we just read should shock you. And I think that's the, that was the reaction Jesus wanted when he told this story. The conclusion should shock you because it's obvious this guy's way out of line, isn't it? I mean, when you read that, there's no one that should be able to read this story and say, you know what, that guy had a right to demand the hundred denarii back and throw that fellow in prison. Every single one of us would read this and we would say, this guy has lost his mind. He is way, way, way out of line. Someone just showed him this huge amount of mercy and then he's going to turn around and he's going to withhold any mercy at all for something that was such a tiny, tiny debt. And when we look at that, all of us can recognize that this this is just dumb the way he's acting. But the truth is, if you'll think about this with me just a minute, The truth is, is that we do the same thing. Do we not? Don't we do the same thing? We've been given, we just talked about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and you're trusting in his crucifixion on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that's what you're trusting in to forgive you of your sins. We've just talked about if that's you, then you've been forgiven a debt that you could never repay. But what will we do? We will refuse to forgive someone in a heartbeat because of what they've done to us. And it seems so bad and it seems so out of line that there's no way we could ever forgive them. And maybe you're sitting here today and and you haven't spoken to your sister or your brother in three years because of something they did at Christmas three years ago that just ticked you off and you've just written them out of your life. Or maybe you've got an ex-business partner that, that beat you out of a bunch of money and, and you just as soon as spit on him and speak to him when, when you see him in the grocery store or somewhere and, and you refuse to forgive him. Or maybe, maybe you're a, a, a teenager and, and your, your dad or your mom has done something and it's made you so angry that you have been holding on to that for months and for weeks and you refuse to forgive. That's the kind of stuff that we do on a regular basis. And it's not just people who aren't following Jesus. It's, it's those of you that, that, that call yourself Christians, that, that say you're a follower of Christ, that are coming here to church every week. We're the ones that do that as well. But Jesus makes it very clear in this story. We've been shown great mercy, and in return, we should show others great mercy. If you need it to be any clearer than that, the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3.13. Look at this on the screen. He says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Whatever grievances you may have against each other. And then this last line kills me every time I read it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we forgive? Well, we make people earn our forgiveness, don't we? Well, if they, keep, if they keep acting right, I might eventually forgive them. 
That's what we do. We make them earn forgiveness. How does God forgive? He forgave us when we couldn't earn it. How do we forgive? We make people wait on forgiveness. Well, it's going to take me a long time. I'm working on it, but it's, it's going to be a long, long time before I can forgive them for that. How does God forgive? He forgives us immediately. How would you like it if you, you did something and you knelt, knelt down to pray to God and you said, God, I want to ask you forgiveness. And, and God, you hear God's voice say, I don't know, it's going to take me a while to do forgive that one. It's going to take me a long time. You really hurt me. God forgives immediately. How do we forgive? We have a limit to how much we'll forgive. We're like Peter. The seven times is it or whatever. How does God forgive? He forgives completely. Some of you know that. I know that. Keep doing the same thing over and over again for months. You keep trying to, to get over it and, and you keep messing up and you keep going back to God for forgiveness and he keeps giving it to you. How many of you, uh, how many of you grew up in a church where you would say the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis? Anybody of you grow up in a church like that? I know some of y'all were raised Catholic and man, y'all said it like all the time. And, uh, and, and I would recite it right now, but I'm afraid that I would have like a Christina Aguilera moment and forget the words in the middle and y'all would never let me live that down. I mean, I already said the wrong name of the church this morning, so I'm all messed up. But, but think about, there's one part of the Lord's Prayer. Think about if God really did what we ask him to do in that prayer, where, where we say to him, forgive us. Our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Or as it says in the NIV, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? What if God really did that in your life? Would you even be forgiven? Or would God say, okay, I'm going to do exactly what you asked. You've asked for me to forgive you as the way you forgive? Then I can't forgive you because you're withholding forgiveness from this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. What would our lives look like? Is there anyone out there that you know right now in your heart that you need to forgive? And that's when I want, us to, I want us to think about our challenge today. See, our lives connect with so many other people's lives. You have relationships with people in this room. You have relationships with family members. You have relationships with people you work with. You have relationships with neighbors. You have relationships with people that, that work in service jobs. Like uh, you go to the same restaurant all the time, you'll develop a relationship with the waiter or the waitress. You go to the same grocery store all the time, you'll develop a relationship with the person who's running the, the, the register that day or one of the bad guys. You, you, will, you will develop relationships with all kinds of people. So our lives intersect with so many different people. And if you had one month to live, it would not only affect you, but it would affect lots of folks. And, and one of the things that, that you would begin to realize if you had one month to live is, is that maybe you're not in right standing with all of those people. Maybe there's some loose ends that you need to tie up. And it's going to take hard work to do that. So let me tell you what your 30-day challenge is from this message. I told you it's going to be more difficult than anyone we've ever done. The first, it's, it's, it's too, too pronged. And if you've got your, uh, you got your worship guides and you've got a pen, I want you to write it down on the back of it so that you won't forget, you won't conveniently forget. First thing I want you to do, 30-day challenge, 
is I want you to make a list of those people that you need to forgive from your heart. Make a list of people that you need to forgive from your heart. Some of you, it might have one name on it, but it pops to your mind immediately. And in the next 30 days, I want you to get to work on forgiving them. Now, let me, let me give you a, a, a sidebar warning here just so, so that you'll understand what I'm talking about. When we're talking about forgiving someone, that doesn't mean that everything has to go back the way it used to. All right? If you were, you were in a business partnership with somebody and they stole $50,000 from you over the course of six months, you found out about it, you severed the business partnership, you cussed them out, y'all had a, you know, fallen out and you, you refused to forgive that guy, you can forgive him, but that doesn't mean you go back into business with him. That would be stupid, Right? So we're talking about forgiveness. We're not talking about everything acting as if nothing's ever happened. There are consequences to people's actions. And sometimes the consequence is that relationship can never be exactly what it was. But that doesn't mean that you can't forgive. All right? If you were in a relationship with, with uh, maybe you were married to somebody and, and, uh, and he, was a, he beat you all the time and, and, and all this stuff, and you ended that relationship, you can forgive him, but that doesn't mean you move back in with him and let the beatings begin again, right? So we're talking about forgiveness, but forgiveness has got to happen and begin in your own heart. Who do you need to forgive? Make a list of that. And I'll just say this, too. We want to forgive people because God's told us to. That's the main reason why. But there is a, there's a, an added benefit. It's going to improve your health, and it's going to improve your state of mind, too. Refusing to forgive someone is like drinking poison every day and hoping that it hurts them. It's not hurting them. It's hurting you. And if you've got bitterness in your heart, it's eating you up from the inside out, and they're just cruising along with their lives. So make a list of those people that you need to forgive and then get to work on it. The second thing is this, and this one will probably be harder than the first one. Make a list of people that you need to apologize to and ask forgiveness from. Make a list of people that you need to apologize to and ask forgiveness from. The reason I said that's probably going to be harder than the first is because this requires so much humility. It requires so much of us saying, all right, I'm an idiot. I know I've done this wrong. And we don't like to do that. At least I don't. Now, just like I gave you a little warning about the first one, let me give you a little warning about this one too. When you, get, when you, when you figure out who it is that you need to ask for forgiveness from, you need to be prepared that you're going to ask for forgiveness because that's the right thing to do, and it doesn't matter to you how they respond. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Chances are, if there's someone you need to ask for forgiveness from, they've probably done some pretty sorry stuff to you as well. And what you're really hoping will happen is you'll go to them and say, hey, man, you know, I was really, really stupid when I called your wife fat and then dumped a pitcher of beer on your head back when we were 22, you know, whatever. Whatever it might be, I don't know. I'm just making up a situation. And you're... And you're hoping that this person's going to say, hey, I forgive you for that. And you know what? I need to ask you to forgive me because that night before I called your wife fat, I was doing all this stuff to you, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, and so you, you're expecting like the turnaround 
okay, forgive me too thing, that might not happen. You might go to them and say, I need to ask for your forgiveness. And they say, okay, I forgive you. As if they've done nothing wrong. And then that's going to create a whole new thing. Well, what do you mean? You're not going to ask me for forgiveness? And then you've got a whole other issue to deal with. So you need to, as you're making this list, you need to be sure that in your own heart that you're doing this because God's told you to. You're doing this because you want to be in right standing with your Savior. And that's why you're asking for forgiveness. Not because you're going to get anything in return. This is a hard one to do, but I'm going to tell you from personal experience, it will set you free. It will set you free emotionally. It will set you free mentally if you will do this. I, I had to do this a few years ago, and it stunk. I hated it because I wanted to go on the rest of my life thinking that I was completely justified in the actions that I had taken, but I knew in my heart that I wasn't. And so I had to go and I had to ask someone to forgive me, someone that I thought that I would never, someone I didn't even want to speak to again, much less ask them to forgive me. But I want to tell you something. When you do it, it'll set you free. And it set me free. And now I can look back on that relationship. I still have regrets over the things that I did. But I know now, even though that I did wrong, I know now that I've asked for forgiveness. I've taken every step that I'm supposed to take. And I'm set free from that. So the two, the, the two prong challenges, one, make a list of people you need to forgive from your heart. Two, make a list of anyone that you need to apologize to and ask for forgiveness from. We can come up with a lot of excuses and we can be real creative about all the reasons why we don't have to forgive. And you could, you could probably, we're formulating the arguments in your mind as I talked. And said, yeah, Cliff, I can forgive, but you don't understand what this person did. Or you don't understand the hurt that it caused my family or that it caused me or, or whatever. And we can be real creative and come up with those things. But the, the fact is this. You read the scripture, there is no legitimate excuse for a follower of Christ refusing to give the same amount of mercy that God gave us. There's no excuse. He's forgiven us a great debt. We are required to forgive others the debts that they owe us, which are not near as big as what we've been forgiven of. This will be the hardest thing you'll ever do. If you truly made a list and it was really what's going on in your life, what's going to happen over the next 30 days for you will be probably the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life, but it will also be one of the most important things you'll ever do in your life. If you can get to where you have no broken relationships, where you've taken the effort to fix all of those things, to ask for forgiveness, to give forgiveness, it's going to set you free. Now, as we finish up, you might be thinking, okay, Cliff, why 30 days? Because I knew that if I didn't give you a certain amount of time, we'd be sitting here next year and you still wouldn't have done it. Mark it on your calendar. And that by the time the 30 days from today is up, you are going to have made all of those phone calls, had all of those sit-down meetings, whatever, however it needs to happen, you are going to have done it by the end of these 30 days. I want, not to make you uncomfortable, I just want all of us, me included, I want of us to be followers of Christ that are set free from broken relationships. And, and we, it can happen if, if we decide that we're going to be serious about it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the great debt that you have forgiven for us. Uh, thank you that 
when every single one of us were dead in our sins, as the Bible says, that even though we were dead in our sins, that you have made us alive through the death of your son, Jesus. And that is a debt we can never repay. But Lord, I pray that even though we can never repay that debt, that we will do our best to give that same type of forgiveness to others. And that we will do our best to give you all of our lives, including our finances. It's very easy for us to want to hold on to our finances. It's very easy for us to think that we can't afford to give away our finances. But God, we know that you've called us to do that very thing. And just as asking others to forgive us can set us free emotionally, Lord, we know that giving away our finances to your work can set us free financially as well. As well. Lord, I pray today that we would be a free people. We would be free financially, we would be free emotionally, and we would be free spiritually. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.